0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's always a joy and privilege together with God's people. It's a privilege we get to enjoy, but not take for granted. This morning we are on the second step on six steps to knowing Jesus. And if you have your Bible and keep it open to Ephesians two, it will be fantastic. Some of the passages will be up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, you can engage with it even more intimately. Let me begin this time by inviting us to pray and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Father, you alone can save us. You alone can rescue us. And as we lift up our eyes, we can see that you alone is in charge of all things. Father, the week has passed. Uh, many of us have gone through many things. We pray that today as we gather this in this hall that you will help us by your Holy Spirit to calm down from the busy week, to engage with your word, so that we may draw life from it. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now many years ago, an ex colleague said to me about his life this way, and I could never forget it. He said to me, I can imagine his expressions too, he said, Before I was married, I wish I was married. But after I got married, I wish I was dead. It was just weeks after his honeymoon. Now He believed that life was meant to be great, but life was not great because he was lonely and he was envious of others. And the solution to his problem was marriage. Marriage would get him the satisfaction in life. He hoped that by getting married he would find the perfect companion, the joy, perhaps the Hollywood or not so Hollywood style of love, sex, happily ever after, that life would be better. But he was sorely disappointed. I've got another ex-colleague who used to sit next to me who was constantly stressed out with her job. She was crying almost every day. You no, know, whenever her phone rings she jumps. Whenever she jumps, I will instinctively look at her table and see if the tissue box is loaded. If not, I hope that the rest of my team, our team, uh, have her as a have backup for her and we all kinda of shuffle around to find our tissue paper packs. The one time after another stressful call, she was in tears again. I I turned to her and I said to her friend, I think you should quit. It's not worth it. But what comes back as a response, I can still remember clearly because she looked back at me with obviously red eyes and she said this and I quote her. But I love my job. I stood there her for a while. I was trying to understand what she meant until I think I got it. I don't think she meant she enjoyed the stress, the tears, the, the wrestling with the others, the breakdowns. But I think what she meant was she enjoyed the career progression that comes with it. The ability to pay off the mortgage of a really nice home and for the security she had if you just hang on for another 10 years or 20 years you know what, my friend, she believed that life was meant to be great. Life was not great because she could not yet afford what she really wants in life. And so she believed the solution was to earn lots of money, to have a respectable job, to build up her status. Eventually, her future will be secured. I wonder if you had that experience, or you have had engagement with friends in a similar path. You know, dear friends, the reality is this, everyone in this world has their own so-called Gospels, their own good news that they believe in, a belief they will willingly give their lives to. What should life have been? What mess are we in? What solution needs to come in? And what's the future this solution will bring in? Perhaps we could use four words or four questions to frame a person's gospel. We can use these four words. Creation, fall, salvation, and restoration. Or perhaps four questions. I put it up on the screen. It says, creation, what should life have been? What should life have been? And we imagine, everyone imagines life should be better. And then there is the fall, what mess or what problems are we in or am I in? Now, perhaps a person perceives his or her problems as loneliness, lack of money, unmarried, married but unhappy, aging, poor health, lack of purpose, or not getting respect and recognition that he or she deserves, or perhaps just struggling with all kinds of unmet desires. No, They are unhappy that life is not the way it should be. And so they seek a salvation, they seek a solution. What solution needs to come in? And the solution may come in various forms. It could be money to gain security, it could be cosmetics, clothes, it could be perfume or gym membership to buff up and look more attractive or desirable. Or to give one's time and money to charity to get more karma. And security for the future, or win friends, or perhaps to get married so that you can um, just get rid of people who keeps bugging you every Chinese New Year, or perhaps to have kids, if not at least buy a dog, or to climb the corporate ladder, or at least climb your HDB steps to be healthier. Everyone tries to find solution. Perhaps it is to travel and experience life a bit more. Now, don't get me wrong, because Many of these things are really good stuff. But when these things comes in, they may sometimes reveal what are the so-called Gospels or what are the functional saviors that people have. That if they have this, they will save them from their problems in life. They hope for a restoration, a future where these solutions will bring for them perhaps this happiness. Perhaps a satisfaction. Now, dear friends, as we have conversations day to day with each other, with our friends, colleagues, we may start to recognize everyone does have a so-called gospel that they live for. But the question really is, what kind of gospel do we live for? Will the so-called gospel really deliver what it promises Will those functional saviors that we give our lives to and pay with our lives save us? Can life really be better if those saviors come into our lives, be it money, be it marriage, be it status, be it comfort, be it children, and so on? Now, According to the Bible, the Bible says life is meant to be better, much better than the world can ever imagine. But the Bible also tells us this, that our problem, our mess, is worse, far worse, than the world will ever want to admit. Now, our problem is not that we are a little bit unwell, we are a little bit overweight, we are a little bit sad, we are a little bit poor, we are a little bit old. Our biggest problem is that we are already dead. Would you come with me to Ephesians 2, as I read the first two verses for us, Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says here, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, friends, as you open up in Ephesians 2, it begins by telling his readers that they were previously dead in sin. They were dead men walking, dead women walking. Physically, they may be well and alive, they may be muscular, but spiritually, they have been unplucked from the source of life. They have been unplucked from the giver of their soul. They have been unplucked from God, and they have become living dead. Now you just imagine with me for a while, Apostle Paul, imagine him sitting with a psychologist friend in the busy cafe with a window facing the busy street of ancient Ephesus. I've got some pictures there. Just imagine there is a cafe there in Ephesus and as they look around, people are busy rushing around getting uh, mindless about getting to work and earning money and everything. And the psychologist look at the, the crowd and he commands to, to um, Paul. He says, I can see troubled people. They need a little help with their loneliness, with their stress, with their unhappiness. Perhaps I, I think that one, he, he needs a bit of self-confidence, a bit of self-image. But Paul, as he looks, looks on and listens, he shakes his head and he says, No, my friend, I don't see troubled people. I see dead people. They're going to the floor of the world, not because they're lost, but because they're spiritually dead. Now, the problem with our world, friends, is that we have turned away from God. We have rebelled against God to be our own gods. That's the problem. We depend on functional saviors. It could be money or career or works of significance that the world prescribes for us. And then meanwhile, you have the devil who will come and deceive us, telling us there's no God but us. Or they'll, else they'll point us to the good things in life and tell us to make them the God things of our soul. Now, the devil may clearly whispers to us, That we should worship the good things like sex and gender and work and marriage and make them the God things. The God things that will restore our life to perfection again. And the worst thing is we are actually not victims alone. It's not just the world and the devil's fault because if you look at verse 3, it tells us something even more horrible. It says this. Look at verse 3. It says, All of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You know what, while Paul was describing the past lives of the Gentile Christians in Ephesus in verse 1 and 2, he now turns to his own people, his own Jewish Christian friends, and he said, you know what, actually you and I, we too used to live our life in the same manner. We seek the gratification of our own fleshly desires and thoughts. The world and the devil may suggest self-centered gospels and functional gods and saviors for us, but we are not mere victims. We lap it up. We amen with it. We lap it up because our flesh and our desires agrees with it. This is what happens. We imagine our own perfect world and then we diagnose our own problems ignoring or trivializing the real problem of sin and rebellion against God. So we construct our problems and then we imagine ways to solve our problems. Perhaps it's the functional saviors called religion or charity or good works. And then when we manage to grab hold of some of these solutions, we pat our back and say, we're not too bad. We should be able to get into heaven but the trouble with being spiritually dead and being unplugged from God is that we are always captivated by what is prescribed by the world and by the devil and by the voices around us and our flesh will cling on to them you know we are drawn to the social or the value systems of this ever shifting world it changes all the time isn't it and it's always hostile towards God. The, the world will suggest solutions to our problems of sin against God, perhaps by redefining sin, perhaps redefining abortion, or gender, or morality, or perhaps reinterpreting God's word, or just soften it a little bit, so that it fits our fleshly preferences. Now the apostle explains the seriousness of our condition this way in verse 3 look at it verse 3 apostle Paul says we were by nature deserving of wrath those who are spiritually dead are walking towards God's wrath and that is exactly what we all deserve Now dear friends our greatest problem is not the world is not the devil It's not our imaginations. Our greatest problem is what God tells us, that our rebellion and separation from God comes with a price. It's death. And until we, or perhaps the friends around us, recognize what is our greatest problem, we will never recognize that the world, the devil, and our own imagination can never provide a solution. We need to recognize what is the problem to see that there is no way out. Now, Well, all this sounds really gloom and doom, isn't it? On this bright Sunday morning, if you just open the blinds a bit, it feels a bit better. But the reality is we should feel the doom and gloom when we think about the reality. If we look to the world, the devil, our own efforts, we will be hopeless. But that doesn't stop here for Ephesians, eff- because there is a hope and solution if we don't turn back to God and listen to this amazing hope and the sudden turn of tide from verse 4 onwards. So let me read verse 4, verse 5 for us. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, as Paul speaks about the past of the Gentile Christians, he brings to them their present state to remind them where they have traveled to right now. Now, yes, we were doomed, we were hopeless, but God, but God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in sin. Now, imagine for a moment that you are caught in a, in a great storm in the sea, your boat um, broke and you sunk, you were minutes away from being devoured by the raging waters of the sea. Now all hope is lost, then all of a sudden, this helicopter appears and this rescue line comes down and a man came sliding down and for a moment you caught a glimpse and your hope sunk because that was your irritating neighbor who has reported you for banging a kid while driving with your handphone in your eyes. But as you sunk into the sea and you grabbed your last breath of air mixed with salt water, suddenly a hand digs right into the raging sea and literally pulls you out from death. If you just have that picture for a moment, what God has done was way more than that. Because of His great love, verse 4 tells us. Because of His great mercy, verse 4. And because of His rich grace for us, for you and me, verse 5, verse 7, verse 8. God sent his own son Jesus Christ to come and die for our sins. We should be judged for our sins and rebellion but God came down and rescued us. God came down and set us free and amidst the storm of sin God's son Jesus Christ came in he plied us open pull us out from the cause and the stink of sin and he takes our place of death you know, the bible calls what jesus done as the substitutionary atonement but basically it means that jesus substituted himself for us so that he will die in our place and we have his place you now when you share the gospel with someone someone might say isn't god unfair why should jesus an innocent man take my place as if that works but you know what jesus was not an innocent man Jesus was the offended God. He wasn't just an innocent man that takes our place and we take his place. He was the one that we offended. He created us. We are made by him and for him. And we spit at him and say, get lost. And now he comes to take our place. He wasn't just an innocent man. He was the offended God who comes and takes the offender's place so that we have a place with him. That is what Christ did, and that is what God's love revealed to us. Early on in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we didn't get to read it, in verse 7, Paul writes this, he says that we were redeemed through the blood of the one that he loves. Through the death of God's son Jesus, God extends his grace, he extends his mercy to us, And then verse 13, which we read earlier on, tells us that all these are given to the efficient Gentiles when they heard the message of the gospel of salvation and when they believe in Jesus Christ. And by extension of the power of that message, the gospel, when you and me, we accept Jesus as well, that power to forgive the grace of God flows to us, even though we do not deserve If we hear this gospel of salvation, if we recognize our rebellion against God, if we turn to God for His rescue and trust that Jesus died and He was resurrected from the dead, and we too will be resurrected with Him, if we respond to Him, that this will be for us as well. And this is the true gospel that the world, the devil and our flesh can never ever offer. But well, friends, as we listen to this, I just want to pause and think with us together. If you are a Christian today, if you are someone who has accepted the Lord Jesus, I think we can truly give thanks to God. We can truly give thanks to God for, for the love that He has, for His mercy, for the grace that we do not deserve. And we can know that we can say no to functional gods that the world, the devil and the flesh calls upon us. We can enjoy the good things, but they will not be functional gods for us. But today, if you are not yet a Christian, or you are just sitting on a fence at the moment, can I appeal to you not to be an onlooker, but to be a receiver of God's goodness, of God's grace, that we will not reject the reality that our greatest problem It's our sin and rebellion against God. It's not loneliness. It's not um, self-image. It's not anything that the world prescribes. It's our rebellion against God. And instead we will turn back to God through Jesus to receive this rescue and resurrection offer paid by the blood of the Son. Here's the amazing truth, my friends, as you look at this passage, when we turn back to God, and we acknowledge that God is God and we are not, life gets better. Because we don't have to be God because we are not. When we turn back and realize that God is God and we are not, we realize that He can forgive our sin. He can give us new lives. God Himself, has made us alive in verse 4. God Himself, in verse 6, raised us up with Christ and sit us with Him in the heavenly realm. Look at verse 6 and 7 with me. Let me read this for us. Verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. Realm in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. I just want us to pause on these two verses, just stare at it for a moment, and think what it's trying to tell us. Because this is what it's saying. Because when we believe in Christ Jesus, we are in Christ though we are not yet physically resurrected, we are spiritually already resurrected and status. We are already with Him. We are bonded to Him. And that means because we are with Christ in the heavenly realm, the powers of the world, the world, the devil, sin and death has no control over us. It can't bind us again because we are already owned. We are already bound to Christ. Death has no control over us because life has taken over. Now, Back in verse 1 to 3 earlier on, the spiritually dead, they are in a terrible bondage to the world, to the devil, to sin, to death. We come to verse 6 and 7, it reveals to us, by great contrast, Christians, we are now in new life, fully alive, bonded with Christ. We are no longer the dead who are walking, we are those who are alive and living. Death has no ownership of us, but forgiveness of sin and assurance of heaven and the liberation from our past is in us. So now as we are raised to life spiritually, verse 7 tells us we will be raised and revealed in new eternal body suitable for the living of the kingdom of God in the future. At that time, God will reveal His full grace and His full kindness to you and to me If we are in Christ, Christ will be revealed in the coming age and we will receive that great and glorious inheritance. And on that day, there will be no more sin or death. There will be no more evil or darkness. There will be no more pain or tears. There will be no more loneliness or brokenness. There will be no more unwanted desires or self-hate. Because none of this can exist when Jesus, the perfection, is in charge. And none of this can remain because we are given a glorious body in Christ. Now, now, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, we can praise God willingly but imperfectly for what He has given us. The day will come where we will have a perfect body and glory and all the pains gone that we will willingly and perfectly praise Him for His goodness, for His love, for His mercy, for His grace. Now, Ephesians 1, 13-14, which we read in our responsive reading, it sheds light a bit further on what that looks like even today. just invite you to take a look at verse 13 again and 14. This is what it says for those who are in Christ now. When you believe, you will mark in Christ with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit It's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance right now. If you believe in Jesus, you are marked, you are sealed with God's own spirit that is residing in us, that will manifest and reveals the inheritance we deserve. When heaven comes, it's great, but what makes us eligible to get in? Unless we get a body that is able to go in, What's the point of seeing something beautiful, but you have no tickets to get in? But for us, if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God Himself resides and seals us. As you walk into, some people, when you go to like the zoo or something, or a pub, you get a seal. And that signifies you can, for us, the seal itself is God's own Spirit. And that power later on that we read in chapter 1, will also raise us up. The mighty power that works for us is the very mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the power that resides with those who are in Christ. Friends, life is much better, much better than the world would ever imagine. But the problem we have is much worse. Your problem and my problem is much worse. The functional saviors of this world cannot save us Because only the true Savior can save us. So friends, as we think about this six weeks on knowing Jesus better, how will we respond to to God's grace? How will you respond to God's grace? How will we speak this gospel to our friends? Do we have the gospel to speak to our friends? To our loved ones, to our friends. Perhaps this is a time we can pause and actually listen in. When you have a conversation with your colleagues and friends, listen in to hear what is the Gospels they are living for. What is the Gospels they are striving and paying with their life for? What are their functional saviors and gods? Is it money, marriage, sex, health, charity, good works, children? What are the functional gods that tells them life will be better if you have this and that? As so listen in, perhaps it's good to think with them, perhaps for ourselves, will these things really deliver? Will they really deliver what they are giving their lives for? Because if not, then perhaps you can think with them, what then is actually our bigger problem? And what is the solution? What will actually deliver them from sin, from rebellion, and ultimately, the most visible from death? Physical death is just the first part, but physical death is real enough for them to recognize. No, you'll say it of the Emperor Qing Suang. No, we are all Chinese here. We would we probably know him. He was the one who unified China. Who unified the numeric numbers, the standard currencies, who unified the, the code of law, who unified the Chinese script. He's the one who architect the Great War of China, the one who arranged for the creation of the magnificent terracotta armies. That great Qin Suang, he was afraid of death. And he spent his whole life being obsessed filing the elixir of life, the 长生不, He was sicking with all his life. But the reason is this. He could have imagined his perfect world. He could see all his problems. He find his solutions to deal with them. But there's one problem he just can't deal with. Death. Because the moment death comes in, it wipes away clean everything that your whole lives have been fighting for. Nothing is left. It's just a muck on the sand and the wave comes in. And it's gone and the next person comes in and tries to write again. But that is not so when we turn to God. Look at verse 8 to 9. It tells us this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. The grace, the saved, the faith, these are all gifts from God to save us. Because we do not work our lives to save us. God gave his son his life to save us. That is the gospel. And the whole saving thing, the gift, is from God. It's never from our works and never a boasting that we have. And this, my friends, is totally against the notion of our will. Our will tells us we need to work for it. But the gospel says you can't work for it. No, Tim Keller puts it really well. He he puts it this way when he compares mere religion, whatever it is, and the gospel. He says, religion will say this, I obey, I work, and therefore, I'm accepted. The gospel says the other way around. It says, I'm accepted, therefore, I willingly obey. You see the huge difference. The world's notion is you work for it, and you get accepted. The gospel says, you have been accepted and you respond to it. Now we never earn salvation by hard work, by sacrifice. This is so-called the gospels of this world, which we can sometimes also call religion, morality, self-actualization, achievements, whatever you like to call that religion. But rather in the gospel we are saved and we respond in gratitude. We rebelled. God rescued. We get resurrected. We respond to this message. That is the gospel of God. Religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. The gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. So the only response left for us is really to humbly turn back to God. To humbly recognize who He is. And then, when that happens, we actually recognize who we are we start to recognize we are beautifully created by God to do beautiful works in this life. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says this. For we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the thing. No Christian is ever saved by good works. But all Christians are saved for good works. Let me say that again. No Christians are ever saved by good works. But all Christians are saved for good works. What is this good works God prepared in advance? We can read more of that later in the other parts of Ephesians. But the aptly works uh, to, to, to do this, to eventually point to the glorious unity of all things under Jesus Christ. Now, those who now have a share in the kingdom of heaven get to partake in that coming of the unity of all things in Christ. And that we seek now, what do we seek now? We seek now to live a holy life, not to earn heaven, but rather to please God rather than to worship the things He had given us. We seek unity with those that Christ has saved rather than to, to tear each other down. We seek to bear fruits in this new Regenerated lives, it is. It can be in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. It could be the way we express love and mercy and grace that we have. You know, the care for others should share the good news because now our eyes are open. What you are seeing if you are a Christian and you are clear of the gospel, you see dead people walking. That's what you see. That's what I see. More than just troubled people. We see dead people and that is not good news. Because everyone is rushing around, holding on to their Gospels. But none can cash out if it's not the true one. Now, dear friends, if you are already Christians, if you are saved in Christ, will we continue to trust in Christ today, in the coming weeks? Will we speak of Christ? Will we live for Christ? And if you're not a Christian, can I ask, will you come to Christ? Will you turn from rebellion and come for rescue. To receive the resurrection that Christ has for us. So now we have already done two things. And we are almost finishing the journey of Ephesians 2. Now we have come to recognize there are so-called gods that the world, the devil prescribes. We have retell the story of the gospel. Of rebellion, of rescue, or resurrection, of response. But there are times... Here's the reality, even if you're a Christian, there are times that you and I, we too get distracted. We too are tempted to grab our own functional gods. You and I too may at times look at something as if they are our salvation. How will we, in our own Christian life, be able to cling on tightly so that we can tell clearly to others the gospel? And here we come to this last part, and I'm going to close with this last point. So that we can stand firm ourselves, we can share the gospel clearly. We'll not be able, we'll not just be sharing, but we'll share without feeling dry and weary and reluctant. And the way to go about that is by remembering, listen to this word, by remembering the gospel's effects on us. We're going to look at the last three verses. This is actually for the next section, actually. Verse 11 and 13. It actually points towards the unity of Jews and Gentiles. But the motivation is as relevant to us, for all of us who want to do good works in our lives, in the way we want to tell people about the gospel. Catch on to this motivation. I want to read to you verse 11 to 13, and I invite you to look at it with me. Verse 11, it says, Remember that you... You formerly, you are Gentiles by birth. And that's you and me, isn't it, friends? Anyone who's not a Gentile here? We are Gentiles. Verse 12 says, Remember at times you were separated from Christ, excluded from what? Excluded from the covenantal promise. You and I, we are people. Verse 12 says, We are people without hope and without God in the world. That is what you and I were before we come to know Jesus. We are spiritually dead. But then this happens, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You now when it comes, how does this salvation come to us? It may come in various forms. Some of us came because someone tell us the gospel in the, in the university, at workplace. Some of us become Christians because our parents relentlessly tell us the story of Genesis like a million times. And one day we decide that that is what it is. It may in various times where we least expected. The gospel came to us and God brings salvation to us and when we accepted that gospel the blood of Christ flows to us and raised us up with him. Now Christians we must always remember where we were. We must always remember where we had been. We were children of wrath. you and I, none of us escaped this. We were dead I'll see we walk in pursuit of our own. Godness, we gobble down the advertisements of this world to tell us what are the functional gods. We willingly trust and chase after them and we had no hope, we had no God, we had no life. The only thing we had was a noose around us called judgment hanging there and we are all tiptoeing on a rotten plank called our body which is decaying by the day. And the day where that rotten plank breaks down, the noose Gets the last bite of our life. That was what we were. It was by God's grace that the plank was not broken. And the live blood came and cut the noose off for us. We were never better than anyone on the streets. And we will never be better. The difference is we have the gospel. For us to be not tired, for us to be able to stand firm and not be distracted to chase after functional gods, we need to remember where we were. We need to remember the news that was on us. We need to remember there was a plank that was rotting and the Saviour who comes and cuts it off, pulls it out and gives us a firm eternal kingdom under us. I just want to close with this. This is a story that John Stott wrote in his book Why I Am a Christian. You must read this if you have never read this. John Stott is dead already, but he is a man who has shared the gospel for decades, who has helped hundreds and thousands and thousands of people come to know the Lord Jesus. He said this about his life. He's dead now, but I quote him. He said this. He said, Why I'm a Christian is due ultimately not my parents, not the teachers, not even my own personal decision for Christ, but the hound of heaven. He calls Jesus. That is due to Jesus himself. He he pursues me relentlessly while I was running with all my might away from him. That he pursues me from heaven. In my own words, what He's saying, he drags me back to himself. I was running from him in order to go my own way and if I, he says, were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the script head of wasted and discarded lives. That would have been him, but now he's in heaven. He never forgot where he was, and so he never forgets what is the gospel he needs to say. And I pray that as we go on this six weeks journey, that the gospel becomes real and stays real to us, and that we can look to Christ, and we can speak of Christ, and we can trust in Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, let us never forget where we were and where we are now. Let us never lose sight of the gospel so that we can see the false gospels that permeates our world, that the living dates are grabbing hold of. Help us to be so clear so that we will not be tempted and be drawn away. Help us to be so clear so that we know how to engage our friends and to recognize the functional gods that they cling on to. Be vast, Father. We were nothing, but you gave us everything. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at btpc.sg.